The backbone of any healthy company is quality marketing, and you're about to learn the secrets from those who do it the best. Welcome to Marketing Superstars, where the world's best marketers discuss their cutting-edge marketing practices. Host David T. Scott is an award-winning CMO, best-selling author, national speaker, and is widely recognized as one of the top marketers in the country. Each week, David sits down with the brilliant marketing minds behind some of the best-known brands in the world to unlock the secrets of great marketing. With their help, you'll learn proven techniques you can use to build your business and your brand. Now, your host for Marketing Superstars, David T. Scott. Welcome to Marketing Superstars. Uh, today we have a very special episode, uh, as it's the best of season two of Marketing Superstars. We've had a ton of great guests talk about marketing uh, across the uh, various episodes this year. And unfortunately, due to time constraints, we can't focus on highlighting every single one of them. So we've picked just a few of them that we're really, really excited about. Right here, right now, on the best of marketing superstars. Up first, uh, we're excited to actually focus on Adam Weber, the CMO of Dollar Shave Club, where he talks about those hilarious videos they do and how it's an important step to their viral marketing campaigns. Tell a little about sort of the beginning, right? You know, everyone was accustomed to going into your local drugstore, buying the, the unit, and then uh, the replacement blades were behind the counter. You had to call the person to unlock the safe. How did you get them to think about, okay, there might be another way? It all started with video. Um, and that's what, that's what really birthed our brand. And, and you can even, you're kind of, a, you're kind of uh, even alluding now that there's a great story here. You know, like guys were really frustrated. And Mike, our CEO at the time, uh, felt like it, he, he could really have a lot of fun by poking at all the humor that kind of potentially existed in the category, along with the, pro the process of having to buy in those razors and what it felt like to get ripped off. Uh, and so he told that story. He told the story in a really compelling video, uh, and it took off. Uh, and I think it took off, you know, for a lot of reasons. Of course, the, it was funny and it was humorous, and it was a story uh, that was being told by a very resonant character, and, and people could really relate to, to Mike as, as, as a guy that was very different than how people had speak, spoken to men at that point in time in, in the marketing landscape. But I think it also took off because it hit a lot of frustrations. Like, guys were – it really hit on an emotional – vector for guys where they, where they really felt like, you know, they kind of wanted to stick it to the man a little bit, like they were getting ripped off. This really poked at that. And, um, and the, the format of the video allowed it to really go, you know, quote unquote viral. And it, and, uh, and it got spread around quite a bit. And, and that helped us build the early conversation from the beginning that there's a different way. Uh, so, so for those of us who, who, uh, who, of our listeners who have not seen the video, tell us a little about the early incantations of it. What was your marketing distribution plan for it? And then, and then what were the results of that marketing plan? Well, you know, this is back when the company was tiny. It was one person. Um, so he, he, just, he, just, he just put up an iPhone 5, I guess, at the time. I don't know. I mean, he, uh, and, he, and just recorded it? He, it, was, it was slightly more sophisticated than that, but it wasn't much more. You know, he, he took his life savings and uh, he shot the video in a single day. And it was okay. actually, you know, in, in the warehouse that the company at the time was going to distribute from. Uh, which and was this was intimate. before you and everything, right? 
Yeah, yeah. I didn't come on until about six months after that. Um, Got it. Okay. So, so, so th- that video was was truly viral. I mean, there was no distribution marketing behind it. Well, it, he it threw was, it on he threw it on YouTube. I might exactly. guess. Okay. Yep, so he, he threw it on YouTube, YouTube promoted got, a little bit, and then got a little bit of press, uh, and and it just took off. Interesting. Okay. And that was sort of the vi- the first incarnation of video yep. at all. And it was it was it was and and so from a marketing perspective, it was the founder and CEO talking about the value proposition of his company and talking about how he solves a pain point that he thinks would appeal to his target audience. Yep, exactly. And my guess is, is the reason why it worked is because it was authentic. Yeah, authentic, resonant voice, you know, targeted to guys in a humorous way. And like I said, it really, I think, hit on some emotional frustrations for guys in the category. And, uh, you know, the key is that it wasn't frivolous. You know, like he wasn't top, he wasn't being funny for the sake of being funny. He was, he was poking fun at things that guys could relate to. Uh, that that they understood and were frustrated with, and I think that's what that's what really was the the propellant for it to go to go out the way that it did. Is the is the CEO funny naturally? He is. He has some background in, in the in the, the the you know improv uh, landscape. Uh, he's got a really good sense of humor, but um, again, you know, it's not like a slapstick funny. He 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 really goes for the consumer uh, human insight and 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 has fun with it. Uh, it's not about jokey jokey around here it's really about finding the things that guys are frustrated with and and finding a little exaggeration and a hyperbolic approach to, to telling their stories in a compelling way for those of you who are just joining us we're here with adam weber the chief marketing officer of dollar shave club and we're just talking a little bit about sort of that one first video that the founder shot that really sort of really made the brand right or at least established the brand in the beginning so, uh, so it sounded like Adam that you jumped in six months into it. What assets did you have to work with? So it sounded like you probably saw the video, you saw the success, it resonated. Were, were there any other assets that you adopted? So, of course, when I joined, that was the primary kind of marketing asset that that the company had been using. Yeah, uh, we knew that we knew a, a couple of things. Well, one that wasn't going to be sufficient. That we were going to, as we scaled, uh, we're going to need more assets, um, and we were going to need to continue invest. In places like video, um, you know, we video is great for a, a lot of marketing reasons, but I think the best one, and it's proved by the original video itself, is that it's a, it's a great platform for storytelling, uh, and you can really you can really establish a narrative in video and build a connection with consumers and have them really understand things that they that they didn't understand before, and that, that's a critical component for I think us from the beginning to help change the behavior the way that we need to change it. And so when I when I joined, of course, we had the original video. Um, you know, there's a, there's certain distribution platforms for you to take that video. Uh, television was an obvious one. We went the opposite route, I think, of most digital native startups. We went offline uh, because yeah. we had a we had a great video asset. We knew we were going to go after a really broad mass audience. It wasn't niche. We didn't want to make subscription something that was small. Felt like we could really take on the entire marketplace and, and make a dent from a market share standpoint. And uh, and so we went. We took our video to the most common, di- you know, video distribution platform, uh, and that was that was television. But we began investing right away in in what uh, what I you know the future of kind of our our, our next ne- next iterations of video storytelling. Um, and and those you know video has been a key component from of our marketing plan ever since then. Um, and obviously, and we we can talk more about it. But the distribution platforms have have evolved quite a bit uh, from just a TV only TV only strategy. So now that we know the secret sauce to how to make a phenomenal viral video, I expect all of you to release great marketing videos in 2017. We next talked to MongoDB and their CMO, Megan Eisenberg, who's leading the way in diversity in Silicon Valley with her amazing team development skills. 
Now, Megan. You probably have been uh, listening to the news these days where there's a lot of emphasis on diversity in the workplace. And uh, in Silicon Valley, where one of your offices is, you know, not a lot of diversity when it comes to women and uh, minorities. Uh, have you found that to be the case as a female CMO? Have you found that to be the case in your career? It's definitely a good question. It's something we we talk about and are focused on at MongoDB. Uh, it's part of our values to make sure that we um, represent and celebrate and, and make sure we are bringing in a diverse uh, company. Uh, and we do, we have a lot of different diversity programs at our company. Uh, we support Girls Who Code. If you download on our website That's great. Um, and fill out, some, uh, you know, fill out our newsletter, we donate a dollar to Girls Who Code. We've got, you know, we follow the Web Summit model. They, they did an interesting women in tech program uh, where they were giving complimentary passes to bring women to their conference. We're doing the same with MongoDB World. We've got uh, a bunch of nominations for women. And so I'm excited about that program. And so, you know, definitely it's top of mind because, you know, it, you do see it at a lot of businesses, um, the lack of diversity. And so, yes, in Silicon Valley, all the way to New York, uh, we are trying to figure out how to improve that. So why is that so important to you? Um, you know, uh, why is my, it's great that MongoDB is passionate about it, but, but, you know, talk to me a little bit about why other companies should be as passionate. Well, certainly as a mother of three daughters, uh, I want this world to be uh, amazing for them and, and a place of opportunities for them where they're not, you know, held back for any reason. Uh, you know, it's, it's important to me just in my career, just seeing the benefit that women and, and a diverse group brings to the table. And uh, I, you know, personally, it, it's just very, it's very important. I think it's a better world to be in uh, when you have a, a diverse group. Yeah, you know, also what I find is is that when you diversify your group as well, that you get you get better ideas. Uh, people come yeah. from different perspectives. Uh, like I said, we talked a little bit about how the math guy might come in with a different perspective, the creative guy. Uh, but, you know, I mean, I think that, that people with different upbringings might come in and, and do it. Do you find, uh, first of all, I guess I never asked this, is your marketing team diverse? Uh, does it have a good yes. share of men and women? And, and do you find that the ideas are better? Yes, we definitely have a, a diverse team, men and women, uh, different backgrounds, uh, different you know locations. We're all over the world, so we've got the, a global element as well. And it does bring, you know, people come out of different industries as well. It does bring a better perspective, new ideas, new ways to be relatable to our customers uh, because we understand them better as well. Our, cu- our customers are diverse, right? Our customers are not just one type of person. And so um, we do. We have a great marketing org because of it. And- now, uh, l- let's say that we have a number of uh, CMOs that are listening to this broadcast, and they want to know how to get started, right? I mean, so they may not necessarily have an organization that's supported them like you are, and they want to bring in uh, more diversity into their marketing teams. H- how would they get started? Where-, where would they even begin to recruit? Sure. Well, I-, I think there's a lot of studies done around the wording that you use and your job descriptions. Uh, we certainly use some technology that will review our, our descriptions to make sure that we're not alienating anyone. Uh, also, I think it's it's where you go to network. I I think that you know the best way to find people is through your existing staff, but then you you often risk that they're going to hire people like themselves. Uh, but if you go to different you know different networks, you're working with your recruiting team, you're going to different colleges, you're making sure you're talking to women's groups or other diverse groups. I think that you're, you're trying to cast a wider net. I think that's important. I think going to all different 
colleges, uh, no matter the ranking, uh, so that you're pulling in different locations, I think certainly help. Um, so, you know, my advice is, you know, one, think about where you're going to fish and then think about what you're fishing with. I totally agree with Megan uh, that diversity obviously leads to a better team and a better marketing product. Well, we have to step aside for a moment and be right back uh, after this small commercial break. For more information on today's program or to contact David T. Scott directly, visit marketingsuperstars.com. Don't go away. Marketing Superstars will continue in a moment. study shows that strong brands command a 6% price premium, and that higher premium means higher profits. How does your brand rank? Harness your brand's power and gain the competitive edge with JPL's unique brand methodology. We build authentic brands that connect and drive performance, delivering real business value inside and out. See how it works at jplcreative.com. You're listening to Marketing Superstars with David T. Scott. Welcome back to the best of Marketing Superstars. We're going through some of my favorite interviews of the season. And so far, we've talked to Adam Weber, the CMO of Dollar Shave Club, about video marketing, and Megan Eisenberg, uh, the CMO of MongoDB, talking a little bit about diversity. And so next, we're going to focus on rebranding. Now, one of my favorite rebrands of the year was with Chili's and their Chillin' Since 75 campaign. Here we've talked to their CMO, Krista Gibson, about that campaign and what it means to the brand of Chili's. My understanding, uh, Krista, is that you, uh, you've you actually launched a brand new brand campaign. Tell me a little bit about the campaign and, and, and why you decided to do that this year. The campaign is called uh, Chillin' Since 75. <laughs> and yeah. my guess is that's when Chili's was first born. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and And really the the thinking around kind of launching uh, of a new campaign was it's you know we're a category right now that's in a battle for share how do you make your brand stand out how do you make your brand differentiated yeah and what we found uh, as we were kind of stepping back and looking at our category is the creative that the category has was really starting to kind of blend together it's it's you know beautiful food photography it's, um, you know, sometimes people in restaurants, smiling, happy. <laughs> and, and it's hard to stand out when all of us have very similar kind of category type creative. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think from a brand perspective, there may not be that much true distinction, uh, at least in the, in the consumer's eye, between a couple of your competitors. Yes, we'd like to believe that we are differentiated, Chili's particularly, but it is, it is hard and it is, you really, to become that top of mind brand, mm-hmm. we started thinking about what, what is the story we can tell that is uniquely ours. We won't, you know, six months from now or nine months from now or whenever have anybody following us with kind of what we go do. Right. So what is it that is uniquely Chili's, a story that we can tell and also you know, when you start thinking about being 41 years young, what is a story we can tell that will make people listen when they already think they know everything there is to know about your brand? Mm-hmm. And 
it was our heritage story. We have a fantastic heritage story, and we really have not told it. So that heritage story is uniquely ours and interesting. And working with the agency, um, they put together this creative, and it kind of tells the story of the hamburger hippies that were really the guys that were in the early days of Chili's. It was kind of founded and run by, you know, today what we lovingly look back on as kind of hippies. <laughs> That's and, great. Uh, they happened to be passionate about food and, and, you know, wanted to make a living kind of doing what their passion was. So tell us a little bit about your outreach strategy. So you built out this brand campaign. My guess is, you know, during the 80s and 90s, it was primarily television. And my guess is, is that now that we're deeply into the digital age, you have diversified. What are some of the techniques that you're using to get that word message out? Uh, and, you know, what, what are the ones that you're most excited about? We're using m- multiple channels. So certainly in the presence probably where it's very visible is television. We have a big presence in digital. So television is still relevant. Well, it's still, it still has such broad reach. Yeah. So to get that reach quickly, television, you know, st- is still where you would go. It wouldn't be the only place you would go if and it's not in our case. So we have digital. We have a big digital presence. And we also uh, social. We have a kind of a strong social following. Mm. We also have our own databases. So we have a loyalty da- database and a, you know email database. So through our own, own channels, we can communicate directly. So tell me a little about how social media plays a factor in this new campaign. Are you doing anything fun with social media, Twitter, yeah. Instagram? We are. So we, we, we've taken um, the old pictures from the old days. Oh, great. Posting some of those. We've also, for the first time, we're on Snapchat. So we've been, we've been active in Facebook and uh, you know, Twitter and Instagram for us having a Snapchat filter that is 70s-themed, very retro-themed. Love it. Uh, was kind of new to tie into the campaign. I love it. That's great. Uh, but when you talk about introducing digital, you know, there's, you know, how do you know that you're really getting this message across to the people that you're hoping it gets across to? You know, ultimately for us, we'll look at our top line. Mm-hmm. So sure. we'll, we'll use our top, our top line as kind of our best gauge of, are we, you know, is it is the message resonating and is it um, delivering top line growth? Um, we also, and you know, I'm sure you've you've probably heard from other big brands, do marketing mix modeling which helps us understand of our different media vehicles and the levers that we can pull, which ones are most effective mm-hmm. with the messages. So that's kind of more of a marketing way of understanding, you know, do, do you allocate more here? Do you allocate a little bit less? But at the end of the day, we're trying to drive brand love and top line growth. So I love the fact that Chili's is going through this old school campaign. And it's interesting how many millennials really love the idea and resonate even though they weren't even alive in the 70s. Now, our final segment was just from a few weeks ago and really one of my favorite discussions we've had all year long. Now, if a picture is worth a thousand words, then Getty Images is worth billions. The power of imagery is a fascinating one, and Getty's CMO, Susan Smith-Ellis, totally agrees with me. We're right in the middle of an election cycle and where, you know, the concept of sort of women empowerment, women as equal, Potentially having the first woman president uh, could be a very powerful statement that could be coming up. Tell us a little bit about sort of how you approach that in relation to Hillary Clinton and even how she dresses and how she postures herself on how that's a reflection on sort of uh, women in society today. Well, I think, you know, again, I'm not sure that there's a Getty spin on this, really, because mm. what we are doing is we're chronicling it, right? Mm-hmm. In terms of an election, which is happening in real time, we're photographing 
her and and her campaign and the people that are following her you know by the nanosecond um but it's interesting i if you look at what's happening the dynamic uh between the sort of um hillary this incredibly you know powerful uh, successful, accomplished woman, and then the the other side of the equation where the debate is becoming about you know someone that was a Miss Universe that was being called fat, and right. it sort of is a it's sort of a perfect microcosm for the for the struggle between perceptions of women old and new, right? So there there are there are lots of women who see themselves as strong and empowered and entitled and able to become president. And then there is a strain of people that are still thinking of women in this very sort of cliched way. Um, and there, you watch that dynamic tension play out in terms of the coverage of the campaign and in terms of the way that two campaigns behave. And, you know, let's not forget also that you guys not only cover sort of marketing and marketing and, and brand and brand, uh, brand, uh, 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 you know, uh, the way we communicate our brand, but you guys are really reflecting media and culture as well. Yes. So, we, I mean, we have, a you know, 300 uh, on-staff photographers who cover off news, sport, and entertainment. So that runs a gamut from, you know, breaking the Ebola story in Africa with John Moore to mm-hmm. um, to following the royal family to, you know, red carpet to the incredible Al Bello photographs that are done uh, on the, in, at the Olympics or with sporting events. So we really do, you know, we really, we like to say here that we move the world with images. And I think that's really true that, that our images are ubiquitous and, and tell stories and powerful stories just in that split second. Tell us a little bit about sort of how, um, how how Getty Images sees their role in being able to move social movements uh, or to promote social movements uh, as it relates to imagery. Well, again, I think, you know, imagery is so powerful. And we were just talking a little bit about news, sport, and entertainment and, and the editorial side. But just a, just a really important aside here is that we those images that we take around the world of whatever is going on, mm. whether it's the election or whether it's, it's a, you know, conflict, a war somewhere – we can get them to in 120 seconds from the moment that they're shot to where where they can be purchased by a customer. I mean that's a, that is real time, you know, speed and accuracy. Um, and in terms of using imagery to to make a a statement, if you will, um, I'll give you another example. We have an incredible photographer at Getty Images called Brent Sturton, and um, he he is very much passionate about what some of the things that are going on with the environment and with um, with conservation and so on and so forth. Mm. And he took a very famous picture of a mountain gorilla in the Congo um, that that was picked up all over the world in terms of news. And, and that photograph um, and, and being used in, in, in various news cycles um, was able to raise... Fifty million dollars for for conservation for gorillas, and like that's the, that's the power of that one image. And think about how many other ways in which you can use imagery. Um, we partnered with with um, Richard Curtis, the director, um, and the Global Goals, and and contributed our photography to them so that they could use that imagery to try to make the the point that the sustainable development goals need to be understood by everybody and that they affect everybody in the world. And so again. We had the imagery and the archival imagery and the footage, and the and they used it to create video and uh, educational guides and uh, billboards and so on and so forth to launch their campaign. And, and again, lean in. We've talked about that a little bit as well. 
the fees for when we when we sell a photograph from the Lean In collection, mm. um, we pay the royalty to our photographers, but the but the profit that we make on that goes to the Lean In Foundation to help support that. So, we try to we try to make a difference, and but that is that is true to us though, and, and our mission and what we do versus sort of layering on a cause on top of Getty that doesn't seem strategic or or correct to our mission. You know, we're almost the 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 secret ingredient, if you will, right? We have the we have content in a world that is hungry for content, and in mm. a world that all of us are trying to find ways to very simply tell a story that has high impact and quickly. Visual is the way to do it, right? Visual imagery, and so if we can partner with with either causes or or even brands. I mean, it's not just about cause. There are, there is there's a lot of really fantastic brands that are using imagery to make very progressive. Uh, statements about social change, and um, and so it, it's it's uh, I, I think it's it's almost table stakes these days. It's not something that you can do as a kind of nice to do. I think you have to be a very engaged citizen of the world, and whether you're in business or not. Wow, what a fascinating conversation about photos and how they can change the world's perception uh, in just as little as ninety seconds. Now I hope you've enjoyed the best in working superstars as much as I have, and remember. If you want to hear any of these interviews in their entirety, please check us out at www.marketingsuperstars.com or anywhere where podcasts are played. Until next year, this has been the best of Marketing Superstars. You've been listening to Marketing Superstars with David T. Scott, your weekly glimpse into the minds of the world's best and brightest marketers. For more information on today's program or to inquire about speaking engagements, contact David T. Scott directly at marketingsuperstars.com, where you'll also find a podcast of this and previous shows. That's marketingsuperstars.com. And be sure to join us again next week for Marketing Superstars.